right, and welcome to podcast nine of the actual astronomy podcast. Podcast? Is that what we're, yeah, that's what we're yeah, calling pod, Podcast, podcast, yeah. Podcast, podcast. So uh, this is our observing the night sky for May 2020. So to kick it off, Shane, have you been out doing any observing as an actual amateur astronomer? Uh, yes. Um, just trying to think here since the last time we talked. I think I've only been out once or was it twice? Doesn't really matter. Uh, but I was out looking at Venus again, as that seems to be the, the topic of interest between you and I lately, trying mm -hmm. to tease out some of the cloud detail as well as that ashen light. And uh, the last time out, um, I did experiment with some colored filters just to see if that would enhance or, you know, add anything to the view. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm just not a fan of those colored filters for planetary observing. Um, so I, what, are, what are you using for colored filters there, Shane? Like what, you know, what brand are you using? The brand is Antares. So okay. uh, Canadian brand. Um, the filters are made in Japan. They're inch and a quarter. Okay. And I have a little filter wheel, a manual filter wheel. So you yeah. load up, uh, well, you could put up to five filters in, but I always keep one of the slots empty just yeah. for the unfiltered view. Um, so then I have four filters and, you know, you can just rotate this dial on the side and then quickly go through different colored filters to see what you like. And the beauty of that is you're not having to unscrew and screw filters into each eyepiece as you're uh, observing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I guess, and so what size telescope are you using? I was using the telemeter. So the 63 millimeter uh, achromatic refractor. Okay. And so and, and I found this too, when you're using a small, like a smaller instrument, there, there's a darker color palette and there's a lighter color palette to the filters um, that are recommended. Like, I don't know that much about filters, um, color filters anyway, but I do know, like I, I bought the lighter color palette filters from Lumicon, like you okay. can buy them by the scent. Mm -hmm. And I found those really good. Okay. So what, do you know what Rattan numbers you were using? Oh, I don't have it on on this computer here, I don't think. Let me look really, really quick. I do not have it on this sheet. I, I was using, um, let me just take a quick look here. Uh, I think number 15, which is like a gold color. Yeah, that's um, a darker yellow. Yeah, I was using uh, 21, which is a, you know, a deeper red. Mm -hmm. um, a 31, which is a magenta. 21 um, should be orange. Yeah. Okay. Uh, right. Sorry. That's um, one of the, right. that's one of the lighter ones I know of. Yeah. Yeah. The, the 31 is actually not an Antares filter. It's from, uh, uh, Vernon optics. Okay. Yeah. That's the, the binoculars. Yeah. So yeah. with, with that magenta filter, cause I, I, I was looking at that and it doesn't have the brand that's a Vernon scope filter and because of that it has the brandon uh proprietary filter threads so did you buy that like used with an adapter or how did you find the adapter because i i was looking at those could not find an adapter anywhere well when i bought mine they sold the adapter so i bought the adapter with the filter and then there's a like a little i don't know what it's called but it's a, a little ring that holds the filter glass inside the housing you just loosen that off and then you can transfer the actual glass filter to the other um, ring to hold it and then use it in regular inch and a quarter eyepieces. Oh, so it came with like a little tool or something? Uh, no, no. I just used, I think, a little precision screwdriver. 
Um, okay. It, it really wasn't that difficult, actually. So I'm not sure if they still sell that uh, adapter or it's not really an adapter. It's just a whole different ring to, to house. Oh, I see. Huh. Interesting. I wonder if it would fit like, cause I would buy one cause I have um, like some really old and like the free filters that you get when you buy your first telescope kind of thing that are one and a quarter. Oh yeah. And, but I mean, if I can just buy a little spanning wrench from a Gina or something like that and take it apart, like if, if I could get the, uh, the number 30, but anyway, I, I went and bought, since I couldn't get that, um, I'd read about these, uh, quote unquote Mars filters. I guess they are called Mars filters from Orion and Celestron that they had a few years ago. Yeah. And now I thought they were out of production, but then when I was kind of just sort of poking around, um, on Amazon this morning, they had one available. So I was like, well, and it was pretty inexpensive, you know, uh, I think it was 30 bucks or so. So I said, mm -hmm. hey, I'm just gonna get that one just, just to try it out. I've got my pale uh, color palette filters. And then I think I wanna get a contrast booster as, uh, as we come into planetary season here, so. Yeah, I, I was, uh, I, I have the, con the Bader contrast booster. Um, and I was using that this week as well with my, uh, my Zeiss Jenna Ortho at 16 millimeter. And it, it was okay. Like it really helped control the, uh, the false color that the Acromat was producing. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it has some other, uh, spurious color suppression with that contrast booster. And yeah, like, you know, to be honest, like I even notice it both atmospheric as well as, uh, as some, uh, especially uh, outside the center of the field, even in like the Pentax XWs, like I notice um, secondary color, you know, as you get towards the edge of, of any wide field ocular. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I often thought it'd be helpful to to have with those when, when I'm observing the planet, so. Yeah, cool, yeah, so I get my, uh, my filter slider, as I was saying. <laughs> yeah, so did you test it out and see how it works? Not, not really. I, I opened it up and I put it on the telescope and this was just yesterday that I finally got around to it. And, uh, you know, it was just like, you know, the hand of, of cloud came over the horizon and the whole sky just totally clouded up as soon as yeah. I had that thing in the scope. But, uh, yeah, so it looks like, and this is the Lumicon, uh, multiple filter selector thingamabob. It's a real gadgety kind of thing that, I didn't actually buy. It's pretty expensive. I ran the numbers six hundred forty dollars Canadian, and I bought a diagonal from a, from from a company that was going into business. And this is what they uh, sort of make a long story short. This is what they sent me. So, um, which is something I always kind of wanted, but it looks like it doesn't take uh, many filters. Like there's not as many that are compatible with it. It's very they're going to be very low profile filters, um, such as the Lumicon filters. So. Uh, Anyhow, you know, you measured yours. You said it was what? It was seven mils for without the threads or something like that. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And mine are like eleven, even for the Orion, which I thought was pretty small. And the Orion doesn't fit; it's too fat. It's a forty-nine millimeter uh, filter. It turns oh, out, wow. and uh, yeah, so it's it's a millimeter too wide because they've made them, uh, you know, to fit. Of course, you know, we're using forty-eight millimeter filters, so. It's just coincidental that that none of my filters that I've had for years uh, will fit 
So my wife actually wow. said she felt really bad because I've been through this real struggle with this diagonal, right? Which I mostly blame you for. Um, <laughs> but because uh, <laughs> you I deserve it. I deserve it. Yeah. You, you recommend. I'm just I'm just kidding. Um, but uh, she said that she was actually going to buy me a filter. So. Oh, look at yeah, Look at so, that, turning lemons into lemonade. Yeah, let me tell you. So so anyhow, and I'm not sure about the backspace on it. Like it it has, I measured 35 more millimeters um, of backspace required. Oh, wow, so that's it, quite a bit. Yeah, because it sits up, it sits up really high. I mean, it has like the barrel and it's like they made the barrel the same length that they should have made the barrel for the regular diagonal um, but they didn't subtract the extra little bit of space that the um, there's like two brackets that kind of mesh together and they're about uh, probably half of, of that extra space. Um, and, you know, you need a little bit of extra space for, for the filters. So, so no, yeah, we'll, we'll see. I think I have a lot of backspace on my, on my 60, almost like I'm right at the very end of a two and a half, uh, inch uh, feather touch so i'm pretty sure that i can i can eat into the majority of that with my with my low powers but uh but yeah and and they actually sent me another diagonal eh? another one really another one that also is one of these ones that requires a multiple filter selector so another lumicon yeah so the first one um they actually sent me totally the wrong thing the first time. I got a 95%. I ordered the enhanced. Um, so it wasn't really that great a deal. And of course, it, it, I didn't have all the parts to to make either a regular diagonal or a filter selecting diagonal. And then when I talked to them, they sent me a whole kit. And the kit is for the enhanced. So I finally got my enhanced one, which is great. Um, but I don't have the barrel for, for the eyepiece to use one in regular mode. So um, I'm going to get in touch with them. I did write them a couple of weeks ago, Lumicon or... They go by another company name now, but um, I'm going to call them. Maybe that will work out better. I mean, they're supposed to be pretty good, the people that are running it now, Farpoint Astro. Um, anyhow, and uh, they might not have understood my question because I was like, I got this and I need that. And what do you think? And kind of thing. They were probably like, this guy's, you know, doesn't know what he's talking about. You can't buy them as, as separate pieces, right? Um, so it's just the way, the way that I ended up with these things. But uh but yeah, so I think in the worst case scenario, once um, we kind of get through this uh, horrible stay-at-home pandemic, um, is I could probably get somebody, maybe even somebody I'm talking with right now, um, <laughs> to to unthread the or or remove the barrel um, from my other uh, diagonal, like my old diagonal, because I think it's pretty much done. Like it's mm -hmm. you know it's it's almost 20 years old and it's got a lot of miles and they weren't good miles it's not like i just went observing in this beautiful pristine uh, you know environment that didn't have a lot of dust and blah 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 like i mean we've been going out and going to really dusty desert like areas and doing a lot of observing and it's seen a lot of car temperatures probably into the 50s and 60s and a lot of minus 40s and 50s and I think that the diagonal has just lived out its life and, you know, pretty close to 20 years of that. I mean, you know, it's starting to show a little bit of wear and really it's not that bad, but I think, I think it's just time. Right. So I think, I know the, the screws and everything should all work. I just kind of want to call and or find somebody that can confirm that. And then maybe I could ask nicely and find somebody who could uh, take the one off and put it on the other. Cause 
you know, that would be kind of cool. Then I'd have two, um, one I could use with the multiple filter selector and then one I could just use as a regular diagonal. But I love those Lumicon diagonals. Yeah, yeah. You know, one thing that would be kind of neat to try is um, do some AB comparisons with the one that is 20 years old with the brand new one. Um, Cause I've read some anecdotal reports on cloudy nights. Some people say that these things do deteriorate just the mirror itself deteriorates over time and yeah. that, you know, diagonals are disposable equipment because they just kind of wear out over time as that, uh, as the mirror deteriorates. Um, although some people argue against that saying, no, that's just not possible. Um, so I'd like to see from my own eyes, if there's a noticeable difference or, you know, yeah, yeah. just to prove uh, that out. Yeah, yeah. Like if, especially if they can send, if they can send me up a barrel from Farpoint Astro, then I'll be happy to do that. And I could even like give it to you if you were, because I think you might have more. You're more of a handyman than I am for sure. It doesn't take much. Um, and it, it seems like a very strange uh, screw head. And I know hmm. it of a screwdriver. It's like a five point star or something like that. I do. Oh know. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what? It, I have no idea. I'm looking at this going what is that? You know, I, I can help you out there. My friend. Yeah. So, I mean, if, if I can get one, then I could just, you could just come pick it up. You can take it, you know, whenever I can get that. And, uh, you can, you can, yeah, you can knock your, knock yourself out. Cause having three diagonals now I've, I've got plenty, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so we'll, we'll see how that, uh, how that goes. So I've had a few, actually I've had more than a few uh, sessions. I've had five sessions this week. Oh, good for you. That's really so, good. So I had three sessions on Venus. Um, mm -hmm. Two were really good. One was awesome. I think that was on Friday night. I think you were okay. as well. And we, were, we were talking about that one uh, yep, yep. via text. Um, and one was really, really bad. So I actually had the, the best and the worst night. Um, I can't remember which was the really bad one. It might have been Thursday or Wednesday or something. It was just... I looked at the sky and it looked really bad, but it was clear. It was really clear. I couldn't resist going out. And, you know, it's one of those things. You just had to try it. And wow, it was, boy, it was just boiling, right? Like mm. I couldn't even, yeah, you couldn't even, even focus. Um, and so, yeah, saw a few more, a few more clouds on Venus. I think I did another sketch. I think I, I texted you that sketch I did on the Friday night. And yeah. I thought Friday was so good that I actually went and, uh, I texted my wife to see if she wanted to come out and take a peek. So, so even she came out and she took a long look. Um, and so that's kind of a rare event there. Um, cause she's, she sort of had, had enough astronomy to last many lifetimes for her already. Um, but yeah, she, she stayed at the eyepiece for about 10 or 12 minutes, like just looking and I'd move it and kind of get it adjusted. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was really nice. And then I had two decent mornings on, uh, Jupiter, Saturn and Mars. And, uh, they were okay. You know, I can start one of the mornings. I could kind of see maybe the great red spot or the GRS as we call it. And then, um, yeah, the other morning it was, it was a little bit more unstable, but I could see the bands, like the two main bands, the equatorial zone. I could see some of the shading to the North. I could definitely see like the limb, uh, dimming. And with Saturn, I could just see the rings. I couldn't even see Titan. Wow. Um, and well, it's then, pretty low still, isn't it? Yeah. And then, uh, Mars was like, wow. Like I couldn't even get a, a focus on Mars until, uh, yesterday morning. And finally I got it focused in and I could actually see the disc. 
Um, and that was a small triumph. Um, Cause it's kind of been like, you know, it almost, almost get the sensation like you're doing astronomy from the bottom of a swimming pool because the atmosphere is, is almost like you're, you're looking through so much density of, of moisture and, you know, whatever else is in the sky between you and space that, uh, that it really kind of starts impacting the views uh, quite a bit. Yeah. Which telescope are you using? The Just uh, the 60. Yeah, just yeah. the TAC 60. Um, with the extender? With the extender, yeah. So at home, I run it always with the extender. And when I'm away, I always run it without the extender. So it's really nice. It's like two telescopes in one. It's a 60 millimeter F10 at home. And on the road, it's a 60 millimeter F6. And that thing has a lot of miles on it now. I think it rubbed in the suitcase when I traveled with it last time because it's got kind of a black mark on the on the uh, lens uh, cover as well as as on the as on the cell. But I'm not selling it anytime soon. That's fine. Works perfectly good. Totally in alignment. Uh, it's really good. Saturday morning, really bad battle with the safety undercuts in minus two cold. Mm. I'd left the telescope inside. I put it out to cool. And I've noticed this, if, if I leave it out and, and with the eyepieces out and everything's cooled, it's, it's all good. But I put the telescope out for about 20 or 30 minutes. Then I went out with the eyepieces. And then when I was trying to switch between my low power finder and my high power, it was a battle. Like, yeah, like you wouldn't believe. And you're kind of tired, you know, it's, it's whatever it is, 4.30 a.m. And uh, yeah, not, not so great. And yesterday morning, I had a, had a nice view. I don't know if Callisto was... Uh, in occultation with uh, with Jupiter, but uh, you could definitely see that it was just just on the limb. I didn't know which moon it was. I, I looked it up in the software afterwards, but uh, yeah. So what what's an occultation? <laughs> uh, when one object moves kind of in front of the other. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and so it looked like it was either just coming out or just going in behind uh, Jupiter, and so Jupiter would be the occulting. Uh, body here so uh, had some well, you're you're a brave man getting up that early i uh i struggle with those ones the, the, the usually the only time i'm up that early is with a fishing rod in my hand <laughs> yeah yeah exactly exactly well you know i i kind of want to get a get a bit of a jump on observing uh, mars but let me tell you it was like you know when when the 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 fly lands in your beer in the summer when you're in the patio Mm-hmm. And it kind of is flailing. That's that's what Mars looked like through the telescope, <laughs> like, like the fly. Yeah, it was. Yeah. it was pretty bad. So, so I've kind of made up a bit of a, a moon and planet roundup for the month. Okay, and then maybe we'll talk a little bit about uh, what you're looking looking forward to for for your observing for the month, Shane. And as we go through, you know, uh, we can we can discuss that as well. But we've got quite a few pairings between the moon. Uh, Jupiter, Saturn, uh, and then Mars, uh, as well as Venus and Mercury. So these these are you know basically uh, the bright, biggest and brightest planets that we have in our sky. And people can have the opportunity. If people are getting new to astronomy, and when I'm teaching my intro astronomy classes, um, always recommending to uh, use the opportunities when the Moon will be beside uh, one of the planets, which you can look up by going to skymaps.com or you know I'll go into the details here in a moment. Um, and then that can, can allow you to, to figure out which of these bright objects uh, is which. And then, of course, when you have a telescope, it makes it a whole lot easier. So on May 12th, in the morning sky, we have Jupiter, Saturn, uh, that are going to pair with the moon. And that's uh, 
just about a day past full moon. And it's a really great opportunity to, uh, to understand which is which. So Jupiter is gonna be just above the moon uh, in the early morning hours of May 12th. So you get up early um, here, that's gonna be like around a 4 a.m. Uh, time span. And they're gonna be really close, like the whole thing's gonna occur in about, I think it's like about a five degree circle-ish between um, how far away Jupiter and uh, Saturn are, and then the moon is gonna be sort of just below them, more below uh, Jupiter than Saturn. But um, the whole thing I saw will actually fit into a low power field of my telescope. So I'm pretty excited to get up and take a look at that. Yeah, that's a really tight grouping. That's, uh, that'll be really neat to see. Yeah, so uh, speaking of degrees, maybe we should just like refresh people and like what a degree actually is. Yeah, yeah. So uh, if you hold your fist out at arm's length, uh, the width of your hand or the width of your fist is essentially 10 degrees in the sky. Yeah, and then I think it's a pinky is about one degree or something yeah. like that. Yeah, that yeah. sounds right. And, you know, that's really all we do, you know, because typically you're not trying to determine uh, areas that are that are that much larger or not that much on, on that much of a larger scale because from horizon overhead, of course, that's 90 degrees. So that's just going to be nine fists. Um, you can actually measure that out if you want, but typically we're never trying to measure that kind of distance. Typically it's something like this, um, which is in the order of just a few fingers, really, or, or I guess maybe five or six fingers. So... So Jupiter and Saturn, they're going to get to um, about five degrees apart by mid-May, by around, you know, the May 12th to May 15th range. And then they're going to gradually increase to about eight degrees by September. So kind of based on what Shane just described um, and knowing that they're going to be five degrees apart mid-May, and then they're going to increase to nearly that fist uh, size by, by September. Like people can kind of sort of follow that as, as they come in evening sky in particular. So as you know, my my 60 millimeter has about a uh, a seven and a half true field. So I'm really looking forward to to getting them all in the same same field of view at the time. Speaking of 60 mils, um, I'll go on a bit of a tangent, but I I watched that Japanese auction site this morning when the uh, <laughs> it was cloudy, right? So yeah, yeah. Like in true style, I get up. I did get up, and if it was clear, I would have observed, but uh, it was not, and so. Uh, it actually went for, for a pretty good discount, but not the $900 that you and I were. Did you see? Did you see what it went for? Yeah, $2,500. Yeah, it, it went for about $2,500. But you know what? That is still a really good deal because that 60-odd millimeter um, telescope typically would go for, um, I think, about more like two to $3,000 American. Um, and which telescope was that again, Chris? For it was Takahashi, listening? and I'm still watching for one, so I'm not going to advertise. Oh yeah, <laughs> back to the maybe. fisherman thing—you you never give away your fishing. Yeah, game. exactly. Maybe yeah. one day, maybe one day I'll get one. But that one, yeah, yeah, pretty close, you know, to a thirty percent uh, discount off off what the usual fare would be to get in to get into that. But yeah, in, in reality though, it, uh, it, I probably shouldn't get such an instrument because it would essentially duplicate uh, what I already have in the, in the FS 60 Q um, and doesn't offer that. Uh, it doesn't afford the ability to go from the F six to the F 10 and it's uh, quite a bit heavier. It's like a six or six and a half pound instrument. It doesn't have a two inch focuser. You'd have to adapt that to it. So um, and then I've even seen where people typically get it if they're going to actually use it. Some people will get it and flip it, see if they can make a couple hundred bucks over a weekend or something. And then 
um, people that do tend to buy it, they kind of wait till they find a good one. They'll, they'll send it off to Switzerland and there's a person over there and he does some testing and he'll actually recenter the lenses and put proper spacers in and all like, and so you're going to be paying twice for it. Uh, by the time you get it shipped, uh, tested, figure out the weaknesses, ship it over there, get a new focuser. This is easily going to run yet, you know, into the $4,000 range and for a 60 millimeter telescope, which I already have, that is awesome. I, I don't think that I can, I don't think I can do it. <laughs> yeah. I don't blame you. I, you know, the, the optical perfection that those telescopes are famous for, you know, I'm, I don't even know how much of that's perceptible by the eye compared to how good your tack is that you have right now. Yeah. I mean, I have a tack at Hash. So it's, yeah. it's not like I'm going from some other instrument to attack. I already have one. And the one that I have is, I think it's as about as good as 60 as you can get. I can't believe what it's showing me. And it can also do planets and, and that telescope, although people say, yeah, it's color free and whatever, nobody ever raves about the planets through it. Whereas my, my 60 is, is really a planet killer for a 60. I've never heard of people seeing what I've seen through it. And like I said, I don't think it's necessarily my observing skill because Sometimes I'll think, oh, I wonder if this is visible or I'll plunk it out and take a look. I'm like, whoa, like I can't believe I'm seeing clouds on Venus. So, so apparently, um, yeah, it's, it's pretty rough. So, <laughs> and yeah, and the FS60 is super light. It only weighs whatever it is, three, three pounds or 3.2 pounds or something. It's nothing, right? So yeah, super light. Yeah. To go from three pounds to three kilograms is, that's a stretch. So, but speaking of Venus, Venus is going to remain well-placed uh, for the first week or so of May, but then it's really going to start rapidly descending into the Western horizon. And as it, as it descends, it will become a razor thin crescent. So it's coming up on us uh, on our inside. Uh, this is what's, what's happening. And so uh, it's going to, you know, turn into this crescent uh, and then it's going to get too close to the sun to observe. But right before it goes into conjunction with the sun and that's, when things line up with the sun, that's, you know, what, what we say it comes into solar conjunction. Um, it goes to, into this last hurrah because Mercury will rise out of the West very rapidly. And on the 21st, it's going to pair with Venus and they're going to lay exactly one degree apart in the uh, sort of the, the Western sky. Uh, and Mercury will be just so Southwest of, uh, of Venus. So now is this a conjunction? It's a conjunction. So what is it? What's a conjunction? Do you know? Do you know like the the technical? Not off the top of my head. <laughs> oh, so when I was a member in the Halifax RESC, they always had like this big deal about whether it was a conjunction or whether it was in a pulse, and and so I always thought that a conjunction was whenever two things were really close in the sky, I would I would just say that's a conjunction. And apparently that wasn't correct. And they would constantly correct people on this as, you know, as if it was like your English teacher correcting your grammar kind of thing. <laughs> it was pretty funny. So anyway, uh, a conjunction occurs um, only when the two objects have the same right ascension or the same ecliptic longitude as observed from Earth. Oof, otherwise, <laughs> otherwise, it's an impulse. Right. So I kind of have this drilled into me. Right. So because I, I would go out, and I would see, oh, there's Venus and Mercury. And I'd say, oh, there's a conjunction. And then it would be like, no, this is not a conjunction because they don't have this, you know. Um, 
and when it pulses, this is just simply when they're really close in the sky. That's that that's the only difference. But typically, people use uh, conjunction and a pulse. Uh, well, basically, conjunction is a synonym of a pulse. They they usually don't get into all that. But I always have to say it because some people are a little bit more particular about their observing terminology. So well, now now we know who. All right, now we'll wait for the pulse to die down, and then we'll yes. move on to the next. Oh yes, yes. <laughs> so Mercury. So on May twenty fourth, there's going to be uh, the trio of Venus. Mercury and a two-day-old thin crescent moon lined up. So you're going to have, this is one of those really great opportunities. You're going to have the very razor thin crescent of Venus, and then you're also going to have the crescent moon uh, very close by as well. So you'd be able to kind of go and, and take a look. Keep in mind, these things are, are in the realm of, you know, if you have a pretty uh, low power telescope or uh, a moderately powered binocular, uh, you may even be able to fit like the moon and Venus in. Um, and then you can see both crescents. And I've seen this a few times and it's really cool to get people to look through the telescope. course right now, the only person who can look through is my wife, um, but I'll get her to look at it. And it's really amazing to see um, the expression on people's faces because they're like, wait, what? It's a crescent and a crescent, like because people are usually only familiar with the moon ever giving us crescents. So pretty cool. Yeah, and, and the crescents of Venus can be, you know, quite extreme. Like you're talking about this razor thin one, like it evolves, you know, very similarly to the moon. And yeah. You wouldn't know that just looking up in the sky because it just it's so reflective. It appears as a very bright pinpoint of light. But when you put some optics on it, uh, then you start to see these phases and you can watch them evolve over a period of time. Yeah, and I was doing I was doing a little bit of reading, and and I can't I, I made some some book recommendations, and and I've been been buying a lot of books. Um, you've been buying instruments. I'm buying some books, and one of the ones that I recommended was the uh, Webb's uh, Celestial Objects for Common Telescopes, uh, Volume One and Two. This is Volume One, deals with the planets. And I think in there they talk about this 12 year old boy uh, back years ago, and he was actually able to see one of these Venusian crescents naked eye, not knowing, not not preconditioned or knowing anything about astronomy, but had asked somebody, went and had asked an astronomer, said, hey, I noticed the star, but it was, you know, it was really bright, but it was, it was a crescent, you know, I could see a crescent, what is this thing? And they were like, whoa, you were able to discern the crescent of Venus uh, naked eye. So that wow. is, is one way that, uh, you know, young people can really take advantage of their, their eyesight that uh, us, us people that aren't as young anymore uh, are not able to. Although I don't think my vision was ever that good that I noticed Venus as a crescent when I was 12. So no, no, that sounds phenomenal. Yeah. So then on the morning of May 28th, there's going to be a double shadow transit of Jupiter. Ooh. It's at 8.40 time, universal time, 8.40 oh, a.m. universal time. That's not great for us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so this is 2.45 a.m. for us. Now, when I Googled this, I put in UT, and immediately I got Utah time, which apparently oh. I I didn't know about. So be careful when you're when you're googling the universal time that you're actually getting universal time and not Utah time. Um, it is somewhat for us. It's only an hour difference, but depending on where somebody might be in the world, it could be it could be very different. Um, and so what's going to happen is two of the moons uh, are going to two of Jupiter's moons are going to pass in front of Jupiter. They're not going to occult it because they're pretty small. But what you'll be able to see uh, is those shadows being cast onto the cloud tops of Jupiter, which um, the best view I ever had of it, or maybe the most surprising view I ever had of it was 
um, I was using uh, one of the little 80 millimeter uh, achromatic refractors, so commonly referred to as like an ST80, which is an 80 millimeter three inch telescope. Um, with a 400 millimeter uh, focal length, and they're pretty inexpensive. They're, they at the time they were like around 100 bucks. Now you can get them for 125 or 130, so they haven't really even gone up much in price. Um, but they're pretty decent little scopes if you if you play with them and kind of trick them out a bit and blacken them down on the inside. And uh, my cousin showed up. It was Christmas Eve, and he walks over. He's like, "What are you looking at?" I'm like, oh, "I'm looking at Jupiter." And he walks over. He goes, "What are the black dots?" And I'm like, "Wait, black dots?" And I hadn't noticed them and uh, looked in and, and a shadow transit had really just sort of come around and become visible just in the in the few minutes we had caught up and and i'd sort of put it back on on jupiter form so and that's my cousin who actually does our music cool well, yeah. that's pretty cool yeah so connection need to see yeah the shadow transits on jupiter are one of my favorite things to observe in the solar system and on you know on a night of good seeing that shadow can be such a crisp round dot um and it's just so obvious once you see it. Now, in comparison to how large Jupiter is, it's a fairly small dot. But once you catch it with your eye, it just is so apparent. Yeah, and you don't need a lot of power to see it either. Like that night, I think I was using, uh, say, like a five millimeter eyepiece. Uh, so, you know, it really, you can start to discern this anywhere from 50 to 100 power. Probably for this one, I'm going to use around 100 power in my 60. And that should be, be more than adequate to... Uh, to pull this out. So, so yeah, I mean, that's kind of like our planet uh, roundup, but new moon occurs on Friday, May 22nd. Uh, and so kind of like, in a way, like this is what you and I enjoy doing most. And usually we're at a dark sky site for the new moon in May. In fact, this is only the second time in the 11 years I've lived here where you and I aren't planning to go and observe that weekend together. Um, yeah. Which is and, and you know, we did plan, but our plans were taken that's, away from us because yes. of a uh, pandemic. And, that's, uh, you know, if this is the least of our problems, we have a great life. And certainly there's, uh, there's, you know, larger issues at play here, but uh, I am a little saddened that we're not able to, to go down to our favorite site at Grasslands National Park and, and take in some dark skies. Yeah, it is. It is closed up. They wrote me and said, do not, do not come. And that was just this week, even though, where we live, they're, they're sort of reducing some of the restrictions. Um, they told us that 100% we are, we are off. We are not going down there. So, so yeah, the only other time we ever missed was five years ago. And I had had surgery and I was at a commission. And then I think you guys were planning to go down, but then they canceled it because we ended up having a big um, sleet and rain and really cold like it went down to minus five minus six at night after it had like rained all day and didn't crack you know above five degrees celsius it was just like pretty brutal so so yeah so maybe the same thing will happen this year and we won't miss it right so. well yeah 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 it's too bad but uh so what would you have looked at chris had we been going down there well, the Milky Way is a pretty big showdown there. Yeah. Um, you know, you get out to a dark sky and you can look up and see that big band of, of uh, star clouds that goes from, uh, you know, the, uh, and at this time of year, it's going to be rising in the north, uh, in the northeast and, and extending sort of around down to the, uh, down to the southeast. And then uh, throughout the night, it's going to rise higher and higher until it's basically running 
uh, almost directly through the zenith points, directly overhead, coming right from the south, right up overhead, and then down into the north. And I just like to spend my time just cruising that band and picking up some uh, nebulas and star clusters and really big stuff. And really, you know, typically that weekend is kind of like our first, you know, really good weekend out, you know, that, uh, that we all look forward to. But uh, how about you, Shane? Like, what would, what would you maybe be looking at uh, on one of these things? Well, so I, I usually have uh, two approaches. You know, one is what would I be looking at in my backyard? And then the other is what would I be looking at if I'm under a dark sky? Um, if we were going down to grasslands, there's an item on my list that I'd really like to take a stab at that I've, I just haven't tried yet. Uh, it's in Virgo and it's not a galaxy, which is, you know, typically what you're looking Can at. Can I guess? Virgo. Can I guess what it is? Yeah. I bet you it's something like 3C-273. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> This is not, yeah. this is not pre-planned, but uh, yeah. Yeah. So we're, we're now uh, mixing astrology and astronomy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So 3C273 is a quasar, um, which is a quasi, what does that stand for? Quasi interstellar radio source, I believe. Yeah. Um, so quasi stellar radio source. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what is interesting about this is it's, likely the furthest object that one can observe with a moderate telescope, which yeah, is what you and I have. Yeah. It's like 4 billion light years away or something like that. Uh, I think two, two or two and a half yeah. uh, billion light years away. Um, but it's also potentially one of the brightest objects in the entire universe. Huh. Uh, it has an absolute magnitude of near negative 27. Mm. Um, so just reading Wikipedia here, if this thing was as far as uh, Pol X, so that's in the constellation of Gemini, it would appear as bright as our sun, even at that distance. Wow. Yeah, it's incredible. Um, so this thing comes in at a, a, an apparent magnitude of 12.9. So it's you know attainable in a five-inch refractor, maybe even yep. a four. Um, and I'd like to give it a try. You know, there's another quasar. I think it's the double quasar in Ursa Major or the Big Dipper. Um, and I think that that one's like 7 billion light years away. Oh, okay. Uh, but you know, that's magnitude 16 or 17 and you know, you're needing at least probably 20 inches of aperture to pull that one in. Yeah. I, so I've seen, uh, 3C273. Yes. In an eight inch. Reflect. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, looks like a star. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. 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 It's just, it's just kind of neat. I don't think you really see the galaxy if I recall it correctly. I yeah, I don't think you do. Um, and if anybody's interested in uh, maybe tackling this one, uh, Burnham's Celestial Guide, Volume 3, on page 2101, uh, there is a finder chart there for this quasar. Yeah, I think that's what we used. I, uh, in full disclosure, I, I, I didn't hunt it down, um, but a good friend of mine did. And then after he hunted it down, then, then I had a look and I, I remember it. Yeah. Cause it's not, there's not a lot of stars in that area. No. And especially through an eight inch, you're not uh, pulling in a lot of background stuff. So um, yeah, I mean, like we kind of sorted it through and went back and forth. Like that's what we did that evening. Um, he, he hunted it down and I was yeah. really just moral support. Uh, if I can even say that. So yeah, it's worth doing for sure. Yeah. I wish, of course, now I do a lot more sketching as you know, I wish, I wish I had sketched it at the time. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, you should try, you should do a sketch of it. Cause I think you're, you're actually a fairly decent 
uh, person with a pen. So give that a shot. Maybe, maybe I will. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, that would be one thing on my list. Um, a couple other things that I like to work on in the dark sky or the dark sites. Um, the, uh, the NGC finest list from the RASC is just kind of a neat one to play around with. Mm-hmm. Um, as well as, uh, Stephen James O'Meara's various books, um, you know, Just where he's, treasures and yeah, yeah. Novels. He yeah. has a lot of interesting objects, uh, that he observed primarily with a four inch refractor. Yeah. So again, it's a very modest telescope that a lot of amateurs, uh, you know, it's within their reach to own and operate. Yeah. So great, great resources there. Yeah. In fact, I think he used, uh, uh Genesis for a while. Uh, yes, for quite a few years. Yeah. I think so. I think if, yeah. I, if I'm remembering this all correctly, I think, uh, yeah, he was using a, a scope very, very similar, uh, near identical to, to yours. Oh, I think his might have been version one and yours is the SVF yeah. or whatever it is, which is a second or third generation. I, I believe you know more about that stuff than I do. Yep. No, you're correct. You're correct. Hmm. And then in the backyard, I like to tackle the, you know, the solar system stuff that we've talked lots about, the, the planets and, and our moon primarily. Um, but also double stars. Um, I love working through the Cambridge double star atlas. Um, there's uh, uh, highlighted objects or highlighted double stars that the author, uh, Bruce, I think it's McAvoy, um, you know, points out as kind of showpiece double stars. And those are great from the backyard because light pollution really doesn't impact your double star observing. Yeah. Yeah, good stuff. Um, yeah, the one thing I'm sort of gearing up for is maybe to try to see some surface detail on Mercury over, over the coming, uh, you know, apparitions. This is more of a long-term plan. I've often thought about doing that. So I'm just trying to get the, uh, get the right setup for that. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's going to be my project over probably the next year or so is, is to try to see that now that I've seen the clouds on Venus. I, I feel like there's no stopping me now with these little telescopes. So, so yeah, we'll see. We'll see. And then of course we have uh, Mars coming into, uh, into a favorable opposition here on, on October 13th. So I continue to work, work towards that and we'll be, th- those observations will really start to be coming along in, uh, in, in June or so, but I will be getting up and making observations of it. Uh, you know, in the mornings, uh, when it's, when it's good, steady, clear, um, and some mornings when it's not apparently. <laughs> well, and if there's one thing we learned during the last favorable opposition is, you know, because of the, the atmosphere or the potential for dust storms on Mars, uh, when, when there are no dust storms, it's good to wake up early and get some observations in because you can lose an entire season of Mars observing if yeah. a dust storm overtakes the entire planet like it did two years ago. Yeah, so usually I, I do observe Martian oppositions. And then for whatever reason, the one in 2018, I, I decided I, I wasn't going to. And then it was like, it ended up getting dusted out it for the, for the most part anyway. I kind of I miss having, having seen that. I may have gone out and looked once or twice um, with my class, but... I, I didn't run like an observing campaign on it because I find with Mars, you really have to kind of camp out on it to, to see the details. So um, not sure if I mentioned this, but did, did I mention I did, I was kind of able to see the Northern uh, polar cap the other morning. Oh no, you didn't. Um, that. Y- yeah. It was like flaring white on the edge. And then I kind of got it focused and, you know, kind of where I'd seen the flaring um, and then 
was eventually able to focus down and that, that that's where it was and i i looked up at the uh you know at the sky and telescope uh prediction software and and then on the on the opposite towards the southern side i could see some what i thought might be dark shading and and yeah it turned out that 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 did line up now to say this is observations of inequality is uh is a bit of a stretch because it was still so unstable and it's still so low and it's still so small but mars gets to uh, zero magnitude this month in may so oh wow yeah yeah hopefully hopefully it's coming along but uh but yeah, I mean, this is kind of galaxy month in a way. Um, this is when we're looking out um, in the early evening towards uh, intergalactic space uh, versus looking towards uh, the interior of our own Milky Way galaxy. So we're looking out towards Virgo and Leo and uh, Jupiter, not Jupiter, but uh, Ursa Major. You know. Um, you know, before, before the planets get nice and high. So yeah, it would be, would be really nice to get out. So uh, I love looking at that Markarian's chain of galaxies yeah, up yeah. in, uh, up in Virgo as well, which is a chain of, I, for, I forget how many that, that count as that chain, but I think in my little scope, I can see like seven or eight of them. Um, and then they form this, this sort of meandering chain of all these galaxies and then I like looking at M87, which is close by. It's a large spheroidal galaxy and that's the one I think it was last year, the year before, that they did that 3D model of, or they were able to get some really good imaging of the black hole in that one. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I remember. Yeah. Not that you can't see that, of course, in any kind of backyard telescope. But uh, I think some people have seen the jet from it. I've read some sort of internet details. Yeah. Visually, I guess, like is that sort of, you know, one of those stories that uh, astronomers sit around and and talk about around the campfire in a cloudy night kind of kind of thing but uh i have i have heard that uh in in some circles so i was i was actually chatting speaking of people with big telescopes chatting to uh, a friend of mine he's built a he took he had a 25 inch that was f47 that he built into a low rider so it was um had three mirrors and uh and so you could sit or or stand flat-footed for the most part and look all around the sky and then he took it out and reground it down to like F33 or something like that. Holy smokes. And has totally, totally rejigged it. So, um, yeah, he was, we and I were chatting about maybe him coming out here after the pandemic and, and bringing out this, this monster, monster telescope. So that's kind of what you need is, is like a 25 inch and, and that 25 inch that he built, I believe it's like the lightest 25 inch that anybody's ever built because, and he could be pulling my leg he told me it weighed originally the original one that he had that was f47 with the three mirrors he told me it weighed 80 pounds wow that is light I, for something that large i know people that have eight inch telescopes that weigh 80 pounds or close to it so a 25 inch now he's a particular person with a particular background and like created his own material to make it out of um, and it was it was something like it seemed like styrofoam that was embedded with some sort of fancy NASA style epoxy of some sort. And then he had this big um, secondary mirror um, that was from uh, some sort of satellite tracking something or that was like 7.8 inches. Um, but it was, it wasn't like, you know, at a 45 degree angle, like usually they'll have, he had it at like a 33 or something like that angle. And then it came down and then he had, he had a really large tertiary mirror, like a 
three and a half or four and a half inch or something. And then he had a, um, a diagonal. That was actually my idea was originally it just came straight out. And so you were almost, almost like how you'd be looking through a, a refractor without a diagonal in. Mm-hmm. It was almost like that. And I said, you should put a diagonal in it. And so we did that and it was great because then we could almost use it like a refractor, right? Except that it was a 25 inch F4.7 reflector. And so we put the, mostly the Nagler 31 and cruise around the sky, but it was, yeah, it was, it was a touchy, it was a bit of a touchy telescope. Um, but I think he's kind of re reworked it. So I'd be uh, really curious to see it, but he's pumping out these, they call them perfect tens. And they're these 10 inch telescopes they're teaching people how to build in, in Ontario. And then they kind of do some of the work and they teach people how to like, I think like even ground the mirrors or people get the mirrors. They, people kind of do some of the work and these guys just love building telescopes. So they really kind of handhold you. In fact, he's, he's built a telescope for me mostly in the past with, with another observer and they'll like cut all your wood for you and kind of, you know, really kind of, you know, spoon feed it to you if you, if you really wanted to build one. So um, but he built this 10 inch and to be honest, the 10 inch telescope that he built, uh, blew me away more than the 25 because it was perfect. Like it was ridiculously beautiful. I could put my, it was F six. So not like really a 10 inch F six. You don't think of that as being like this special, special telescope, but we could put my three and a half millimeter Pentax in it on almost any night. And it was just like, it defied seeing, right? Oh, we could, wow. that's a special telescope. Yeah, I mean, it, but he had like, it was just built properly with, it was very structurally sound. So you didn't get a lot of vibration and it was super easy to track, even though not super light, like it wasn't super light. I bet you that telescope weighed maybe close to 80 pounds. Not, maybe not that much, but it was, it wasn't like, uh, it's like an open truss, but uh, I think it was like a three or four pole truss, um, maybe even more. But, you know, nothing like, you know, it looked really like a really nice scope, but you think, well, 10 inch F6. And then you'd get in there and I had the best views of Saturn I, I ever had. I remember in the parking lot of, of his work and they did like a star party there and we had uh, everybody from his work come out and I had uh, brought the wrong anyway i won't get into it but i really couldn't use my telescope to good to good use that night so i just took my my three and a half pentax over to him and i said hey can we try it and yeah we tried it and just couldn't believe it so i just sat there and i just tracked on on saturn all night i probably looked at it for about three hours um just unbelievable so so yeah like the power so yeah what else what else for me i don't know i i I think that's probably a pretty good uh pretty good list there you know for me again it's it'll be some planetary stuff and double stars mostly because of the pandemic lockdown yeah i won't be leaving the house too much um but starting to dream a little bit of uh some july dark skies because i think the way things are going at least in our province that some of the restrictions will be opened up that we should be able to get to some dark skies um likely not do our public events i i don't you know i don't think those will probably be allowed at that point but um, you know, I think we'll be able to do a little bit of camping and some observing. So that's my hope. Keep yeah. your fingers crossed. Good stuff. Well, that sounds great, Shane. So thank you very much, folks, for listening to podcast nine of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. And hopefully people can go out and take a look at some of these plants.